0: The following message is brought to you by Champions Church. For more information, please visit champchurch.com. Uh, so as we get into the word here, this is really the, the, the point of what we were building into a moment ago. I want to get back to that. We're going to repeat a couple of things that we had last week, and we're going to move through them very quickly. Uh, but we're going to get kind of back to where we were. Uh, so you're going to get a list here of things that we're going to find in the scripture. It's going to sound pretty familiar, not, not giving you new things. They're the same things from last week. Uh, the challenge is we really didn't cover many of them last week. We only really got to one. So uh, one of the things we're going to find is what's not good for anyone. I mean, we, we did get to that one. We're going to touch on it again as we uh, get to where we left off. Uh, Another thing that we're going to find is the enemy of joy. Now, last week I mentioned this just as we were kind of getting rolling, why this is kind of a big deal. Much of the gospel is about Jesus bringing joy into your life. And I can show you that throughout the gospel. In fact, we'll we'll see that. There's a number of of things that I really enjoy uh, talking about from the scripture, and joy is one of them. I mean, consider this. Consider the amount of joy that is spoken of at the, the nativity. Now, when we come into you know, December, and all of a sudden we, we put up our pumpkins and we put up our turkeys and, you know, we pull out whatever snowflakes and things we pull out for Christmas, you know, we, all of a sudden the word joy becomes a thing. Well, because joy is a, a greatly associated with the gospel. And when Jesus is announced, the angels of heaven come and they say, hey, we bring you good news, and that good news is of a great joy, right? So joy is a pretty big deal. It's, it's kind of the point of things. So when I talk about uh, what the enemy of joy is, it's not something that we ought to to shrug lightly aside. We ought to focus on that and realize that joy is absolutely valuable and therefore it's absolutely under attack and we ought to be aware of what that enemy is. Uh, another thing that we're going to find is uh, something very specific that we need to be aware of that's pretty vague, but we'll uh, we'll clear it up when we get there so uh, we're going to run through some things that we touched on last week as we get to where we left off. And we're going to start with what, what's not good for anyone. Now, we, we did mention this last week. If you have your Bibles or your notes, you can uh, turn to once again or you can uh, reiterate Genesis 2.18. Genesis 2.18, we're just going to pull from the, the concept of what is being said here. It's God speaking and he is the, the creator of creation. I mean, he's, he is, is perfect in every way. And he makes this statement. He makes this statement that it's not good for man to be alone. Okay, so we're going to take that statement and and we're not going to spend a lot of time on it because we, you know, we did establish it last week, but I think there's a few things that we can add to it because there's no way that we took that passage of scripture and exhausted all of the wonder that is built inside of it uh, last week. So I want to just throw this out for you. You need to understand that God is absolutely perfect, right? So when he is speaking this, it's not as if you have a craftsman who built something, stood back and looked at it, and was a little disappointed in a flaw, okay? So he doesn't make man and then step back and be like, you know, mm, dang, it's just not good for him to be alone, right? So his creation is perfect. Everything is intentional. It's all there. There's no... Uh, you know, mistake in any way, shape, or form, but rather God makes this statement. He's making this statement identifying something that is absolutely built into man. He did it on purpose. This is part of his perfect creation. Part of his perfect creation in all of mankind is that it's not good for them to be alone. He didn't build us to be alone. Much of my life that I spent alone was much of my life that was filled with misery, hate, and destruction. Because I'm not built for that. In all of my perfection, and there's a lot of it, right, honey? Yeah. In all of my perfection, as God has made me, he's built into me this need to be part of a group for this reason, so that I can receive from others, so that I can give to others, because there's more to this life and more to this world than just me. I was going to insert another wife joke there, but I decided not to running heavy on those this morning. We're already like three, and it's only a few minutes in here. Got to back off, right? So you got to understand, this isn't a flaw. God didn't create man and look back and think, you know what? Man, he's really good, but he's got this one flaw. I really wished I would have worked that out. But I got a tea time here in about an hour, so we're just going to go with it as it is. He made man perfect, and in that perfection is this need for assistance, this need for a group this inability to be alone and things go well. So I need to see this not as a weakness, but I need to see this as part of who I am, that this is a driving force that is meant to bring me into the fold, into the body of Christ. This is something that is inside of me that's meant to function almost as an appetite that would drive and bring me to the place where I actually come into agreement and alignment with God's perfect design. And God's perfect design isn't me by myself. God's perfect design is me part of the body. And I say the body instead of a body, because the world will attempt to offer a number of bodies. And I don't just mean that in in immorality, but that is definitely a part of it. The world will offer cliques and clubs, come be part of this group. We meet at the bar, we do this, hang out with us. But the reality is God's called us to be a part of a body that is filled with life and health, not misery and destruction. And you'll look at people, and we even use, uh, you know, worldly sayings and worldly proverbs like birds of a feather and and things like that, misery loves company, all kinds of things that we'll say that just imply, imply, excuse me, that people have this need to come together and they meet that need. Now, that need is something that God has placed inside of us, and it's meant to bring us together within the body of Christ. It's meant to draw us together into that which his spirit is the lifeblood and the circulation. And we talked about that, we began to talk about what breaks that up, you know, the attempts that break it up. I've been in ministry for a long time. It's, it's, I'm getting older, so those, I have to rethink the numbers here. Well, let's just go with decades. How's that? So within this time, I've seen this, this wonderful need in people's lives draw them away from hurt and misery and destruction into life and prosperity and connection to the body. And then I've seen that suffer hardship. I've seen that suffer A breakup, divorce, separation, split. I've seen wonderful churches with lots of life that were doing powerful and great things then just split apart and all of a sudden people who loved each other one day hate each other the next. It's pretty strange. And so in looking at these things, there's been an attempt to see, you know, what causes this? And is there a way to, to begin to introduce things to prevent these things? Well, last week we talked about one thing that causes it, and it's criticism and negativity. And last week we looked at some verses concerning criticism and negativity. We're unable to re-preach those, or we'll find ourselves running out of time in the same spot that we did last week. So if you need to catch up with that, I'm sure you can find it online. I'd be happy to share some of them with you from my notes after the service here, but that, that if we have criticism and negativity, and every bit of criticism and every bit of negativity, there is in its foundation accusation. We talked about accusation being the opposite of the work of Jesus Christ. His ministry is intercession. Accusation is the work of the accuser of the brethren, aka Satan, Right? So as we got through those things, we came to the point where we realized that negativity and criticism sow seeds that end up in division. If we have within the body of Christ the presence of negativity and criticism, we ought to reevaluate and we ought to counteract that so that those things don't ultimately produce their desired effect, which would be separation. And we, we, we battle that with encouragement. I mean, what would be the opposite of criticism, you know? Build someone up. What would be the opposite of 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 complaint, but compliment. Anything that would be an encouraging word. You have been called and equipped to be the the, the fountain of encouragement in this world. I mean, when the word says things like life and death are in the tongue, it's not just by accident. It's not just because, you know what, we're running out of really snappy proverbs. Let's come up with some that sound really deep. But it's true. Your words are powerful. You can build up those around you. You can tear down those around you. And we ought to exercise wisdom in how we exercise our words. To be those who are the builders up of those around us, not the terrors down. And I'm not sure that that's the right way to say that, but we're going to go with it. So now here we are. We're going to move on, or else we're going to end up stuck here once again repeating last week's message. Another thing that is found within the body that needs to be dealt with because its ultimate destination is separation is defensiveness okay now we're in new waters here this isn't repeat from last week we didn't get here so if you were you know checking who's playing today on your phone let's move on from that let's get back in here's where we're at now as we get into to to where we're at here with defensiveness I want you to to just take this into consideration Uh, defensiveness is really nothing less than the refusal of someone's complaint if you see me kind of walking this way a lot more this week, it's because my wife is sitting right here. This is a real challenge. This doesn't come really naturally or really easy. In fact, this is a very difficult thing to, to embrace. Once you put it to practice, you can realize, wow, that's simple, but simple doesn't always mean easy, right? I mean, simple and easy aren't the same things, So it's simple in the sense that allowing someone the right to complain in in and of itself isn't a very complex instruction, but rather when someone is complaining, it's very difficult sometimes to sit and listen to it without wanting to react to it. And defensiveness is going to be something that needs to be addressed in every person, in every situation, in every relationship. I mean, whether it is, you know, the the parental relationship. I'm I'm raising children in my my marriage with my wife. Defensiveness is definitely an issue that has to be addressed within the body of Christ. It's got to be addressed as well. We have a group that's very diverse from very different backgrounds. If we were just to list some backgrounds, hey, raise your hand if you're Grew up in this background. Raise your hand if you grew up in this background. You would see how incredibly diverse this group is. Diversity is going to bring difference of opinion. That's what diversity is. Now the question is, will we allow people to be different? Well, in some things, there's going to be a a, a common truth that's absolute, that's black and white, and it's very important that we be on the same page with those things. In other things, your, your view, your perspective will be shaped and molded by your life experience, by your uh, learned behaviors, by your uh, uh, history. A lot of those things will make up and shape uh, who you are. The reality is that is subject to change. Now, the difference between immature and mature in this matter is realizing that. I came into a tremendous maturity the day I realized, you know what? I don't really believe that the same way I did five years ago which probably means I shouldn't be ready to just die on any hill because my beliefs are shifting and changing. I'm growing and maturing in how I feel about things and and I need to make sure that that doesn't uh, become hindered in any way or else I might remain stuck somewhere that is in a state of immaturity. And so in this case, being defensive is, is manifest in different ways, and we're going to look at a few of these, but I think it's important just to get back into the Scripture as to where the issue lies with anything that is defensive. And, and I, want to, I want to offer a couple of passages of Scripture to you, and, and I believe this is the foundation of all things defensive, okay? I mean, it's just kind of uh, uh, how I feel about it. It's not like we're going to turn to the Scripture and you're going to see, and thus saith the Lord, defensiveness is manifest as this. We're going to have to read between the lines a little bit, but I don't think there's going to be any pushback because it's pretty clear. Proverbs chapter 12, Proverbs 12, I want to look at verse 15. If you were going to ask me, hey, Preston, you know, defensiveness, we all agree that, that defensiveness is going to be a problem. It ultimately leads to separation and it's, it's counterproductive to agreement. It's counterproductive to uh, uh, moving forward. Uh, But what is the the root cause of defensiveness so that we can deal with it? I would begin to look in this passage, Proverbs 12, 15. It reads like this. A fool's way is right in his own eyes, but the wise one will listen to counsel. This, to me, defines the issue of defensiveness uh, from, from wall to wall. Like this is kind of a complete package. The only challenge is in applying it to this message is it doesn't use the word defensiveness. But if I were to define any moment where I've been defensive in any situation, it has been my refusal to listen to someone who might very well be right, and my devotion to my own view, which might very well be wrong. You Follow that? I'm going like, to download that and listen to it again, because that was pretty good. That's really what it is. I'm not going to listen to you, even though you might be right. I'm going to stick with my view or my opinion, and it might be wrong, but who cares? That, by definition, is foolishness. And and the other thing about this passage of Scripture that's so rich to me is that a fool's ways are always right in his own eyes. That tells me that this is a a constant risk. I mean, I want to be right. I want to do things right with my wife. I want to do things right with my sons. I want to do things right within the church. I want to do things right with the the people that I work with and the places of business that I function and operate in. I want to do things right. I never wake up and just think, you know what, I'm going to be a train wreck today. I wanna get it right. Now the challenge with this is I'm always gonna think I'm right no matter what. So what do you do with that? I mean, it's kind of a, a Pandora's box, is it not? Well, the passage of scripture here offers that a solution could be having counsel. Well, that's only helpful if your counsel's good, right? It's one of the reasons why we have the scripture and why we have the Holy Spirit. That counsel is not meant to give me their thoughts and opinions. That counsel is meant to confirm what's in the scripture. That counsel is meant to be a confirming voice of what the Holy Spirit is speaking. That counsel isn't meant to just offer how they feel about the matter. That counsel is meant to be there as another one that is listening to or dialed into the direction of God for the purpose of confirming the way in which I should go. That's what that counsel is. Now, the world today has gotten so far away from that that counsel now is, is, is within people that share in the same situations and the same hardship. They're basically sharing the same foolishness in their circle, and therefore they never break out of it. If that is kind of an odd thing to consider, let me just offer this as a giant glaring example. Hollywood, they love to give you advice, and they're miserable. They love to tell you what you should do in a relationship, and their relationships are the worst relationships on the planet. They love to tell you how you should vote. I don't even want to start on that. I mean, there, there's all of this advice and counsel that they would love to give, but look, it's, it's, it's coming from the cesspool. If you wanted a glass of water, would you go to the sewer? No. Counsel is important to know the source. I want to know the source of the counsel. Yeah, I don't want to be defensive. I understand that I could be wrong, so I'm going to pursue counsel. Now the question is, am I pursuing the right counsel? Is this counsel dialed into the the truth and the direction and the counsel of the living God, or is this counsel tapped into past hurt, wound, rejection? I've I've noticed something in people, and and it might be a little bit of a, a, a bizarre uh, example, but I want to offer it to you. I worked with a guy. The goal was to try to help him out, and, and he he did good for a while. And some things uh, happened unfortunately, and, and it didn't really work out long term. And I have to hope today that some of the things that were done on his behalf are producing uh, good things for him today. But I remember talking with him, and uh, uh, he just kind of opened up and shared some stories about uh, uh, some time when he was incarcerated. And he, he was a, a really, you know, macho guy and, and, a, and a, you know, really, uh, uh, you know, thick, strong guy. There was, there was nothing uh, effeminate about him at all. And, and as we're driving, he just begins to weep. And I'm thinking, that's odd, right? I mean, I'm not thinking like, what's wrong with you? I'm just thinking like, well, this is interesting. You know, this, this hasn't happened before. He begins to weep, and and uh, just ask him, "Hey, you know what what's going on?" And he starts telling some some things that that you know he's uh, remembering and dealing with, and and it was because we had been talking about hope and and breakthrough and and growing and prospering and thriving, and he remembered a situation from prison. Now, you know. It's not like I have a long history of being involved in anything prison. I'm just going off of his experience and what he shared with me. I am aware because of some ministry and things that have been done in places of incarceration. Those places are some of the most demonic strongholds you'll ever find on the earth. I mean, it's really, really foul. And as he began to to weep and share, he just said, I remember wanting to, to get out and wanting to do good and, and they just won't let you. And I said, what do you mean by that? And he goes, every time that my release date would come up, they would make me fight because they don't want you getting out. If you leave, they're weaker. They want want their group. They want their clique. They want their gang or whatever to be as strong as possible. And if you leave, they're a man down. So the moment your release date is coming up, they're going to throw you in a mix that's going to get you back into lockdown and extend your sentence. Well, I hear that and I just think like, man, that's wicked. It's absolutely wicked. But I look around the world today and I think, man, that's everywhere. Everyone is so neck deep in their own misery that the only way they can justify their misery or feel any better is make you share in it. And the way they're going to draw you into that is through their advice and their counsel. If you don't do it our way, you're a moron. If you don't do it our way, you're an idiot. If you don't do it our way, you're a loser. Come do it our way and share in our misery. Be one of us and love it. The counsel that you receive is really important. It's important to know the source of it. Because this world is attempting to pull you away from your calling to be a light in this world and drag you into a world that is filled with darkness. It's important to know what counsel you have. The way of the fool is right in his own eyes, but the wise man will listen to counsel. Not just any counsel, but the counsel of the Lord. I want to offer a couple of other passages here as we deal with defensiveness, and we're going to move quickly through these. Uh, The passage of scripture that I think is important to emphasize is one that's pretty absolute in its structure. It's from the book of James, James 4, verse 6. James 4, verse 6, it reads like this. God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Now, when I consider where defensiveness has brought about uh, destruction in my life, when it's taken a situation that was bad and made that situation worse, it has been when there's been a refusal to listen to those around me. That doesn't mean that when those around me speak, they're absolutely correct. It just means when there's been a refusal to hear any other voice around me, it positions me, it puts me in a place of risk to make a compromised decision, a decision that is founded upon pride. Based on this passage of scripture, to function or to operate in proud is to put myself in opposition to God. If God opposes the proud, and I love that it doesn't say something like sometimes or, or, you know on occasion, but rather this is an absolute statement that when I'm functioning and operating in pride, I'm functioning and operating in opposition to God, not in lockstep with him. I'm no longer cooperating with what he's doing in a situation. I'm now working against what he's doing in a situation. And if I become so fixated on who's right and who's wrong, but yet I have pride in my heart, I will find myself in a position where I may be carrying what is correct, but I'm absolutely in sin. It's a really important thing to understand and to know. Now, sometimes because we're so academically driven, we only become concerned with the facts. But I'm right. Have you ever been right and been wrong? I think I have a PhD in this. When everything that you would bring to the table is the correct thing to do or the correct way to do it, but you bring it through the table in opposition to how God would bring it, you bring it through the t- to the table with pride And that pride is manifest through, uh, uh, whether it's uh, aggression or anger or that pride is manifest through some kind of vindictive attitude where you're no longer looking to help those around you, but you're looking to simply um, crush those around you is probably a pretty good word for it. I don't want to just show you that I'm right. I want to show you that you're wrong. That's a real problem. And that pride, that thing that can happen, it can open up the door for really, really nasty things. One, one, it's in opposition to how God works. In fact, it will be outside of grace. Because of that passage of Scripture, consider that God is opposed to the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. That means I'm never walking in God's grace if I'm operating in pride. Now that's a word that needs to be understood or that's a passage that won't have the the full fervency or or the full weight behind it manifest in our life. That word grace is not just something about God's uh, uh, liking you or God doing nice things or pleasant things to you. That word grace is a powerful word and I say powerful on purpose. And we've emphasized before uh, that word when we've contrasted it with how we normally see it a lot of times when we see the word grace we we can mix it up with the word mercy you know i mean like the idea that god would pardon something but god's grace in my life is not his his pardoning of my sin god's grace in my life is his filling me with power his grace in my life is the presence of the holy ghost his grace in my life is the authority of the name of jesus his mercy in my life is the forgiveness of my sins And in all of these situations where I'm desiring to bring a solution, in all of these scenarios where I'm looking to bring what is correct, if I operate in pride, not only am I working against God, but I'm working outside of grace, which is the empowerment to do anything in the name of God. It's important that we not let pride open up the door for defensiveness. Here's a few passages of Scripture here. Uh, Psalm 25, 9. God leads the humble in justice, and he teaches the humble his way. What a really great thing to consider. I mean, like, who could ask for more than justice, right? To ask for more than justice would be to ask for something unjust. Now, I'm not attempting to sound ridiculous, but if you consider just how profound that statement is, it's pretty interesting to me. I mean, I, I, I had a, a situation where a, a, a product had been ordered, and the product that had been ordered wasn't delivered as promised. And I contacted the customer service, and they didn't say You know, who do you think you are? They weren't defensive at all. They were very kind. They listened to the situation. And then they offered a solution, right? This sounds like a a great thing. But now then on the other side of this, something happened in me. And I thought, that's weird. Let me give it to you in a nutshell. I'm not telling you that I literally thought these words. But when you break down what I did think, I begin to, to think this. How can I leverage this? You made a mistake, now how can I prosper from it? That's really what it was in the end. I mean, it was manifest in something a little more innocent, like, hey, you didn't ship those parts, throw in something extra for me, right? Sounds really innocent and kind, and then they might, and that's just good customer service. I would do that, I've done it before, you know. Well, we didn't mean to cut you short on that, in fact, we're gonna do something above and beyond. That's a good way to do it. But the presumption that was in me when that thought went through my mind, I literally had to think like, you know what? That's unjust. What's just is for them to do what they committed to do. Fulfill the order as it was promised and everything's fine. Anything more than that needs to come from you by your goodness toward me as a gesture of good faith. But if I sit here and begin to think, how can I leverage your mistake? I think I fall in the category of, what would you call that, honey? I'm just joking. I was trying to squeeze a wife. joke in there. Jerk. You're a total jerk. When you begin to try to leverage other people's mistakes... I think you are now a, a predator on a level that is, is really psychotic. And in, it, in the situation like we're dealing with, it has become part of our society. And if you were to call somebody a, a word like that, it might feel like a bit of overkill. But when you consider the, the temptation to step outside of what is just and to begin to take advantage or to gain from something unjust, if we had a judge or someone in Washington that did that, we would call it corruption. Corruption. And we would want to vote that bomb out of office. But sometimes we see those things on the headlines and we think, yeah, that is terrible. That person's a real, you know, jerk. But then we find we do it and we never think twice about it. Because ours is smaller. Ours is a little less uh, you know, public and, and it's a little more innocent. But at the end of the day, it's the same spirit. And I love that that is the passage of scripture that we have to stand on, that that if we can humble our hearts, God will lead us in justice. Who can ask for more than justice? Justice is what's right. And then the rest of this passage of scripture is really exciting to me, that that as God does this, he does this by teaching us his way. That would make sense to me. It's another of of countless confirmations that the word of God in the scripture is absolutely perfect. I mean, God would lead us into justice by teaching us his way because he is just. And there's nothing unjust in him. And if arrogance rises in us, if pride rises in us, if we begin to walk in that defensiveness and begin to desire things that are unjust by leveraging other people's mistakes, we then uh, find ourselves operating in a a way that would be ungodly or unchristlike. And then the result of this ungodly behavior is never desirable, but yet it's very difficult for us to see because many times we're very myopic in, in our views. Uh, I'll give you a passage of scripture here of what happens when we begin to celebrate this uh, unjust behavior or open up the door for this uh, uh, pride and defensiveness. Uh, Proverbs eleven two: 2, When pride comes, then comes dishonor. When pride comes, then comes dishonor. The, the backside of this passage of scripture is, is more encouraging, but with the humble is wisdom. Now, when I read something like this, and we're going to be winding down here, we're, we're not going to get through this entire message again, but when I read something like this, I begin to, to see a pattern that I think is worth taking a note of. I love when the scripture does contradictions. Contradictions in the form of uh, opposites, because it can be Revealing. It can be revealing of what you need to do to counteract something. I mean, if the room was dark and you needed it to be light, you would turn on the lights, right? Because that light is the the, the, the way to counteract that darkness. It would be opposites, right? The opposite of dark is light. The opposite of light is dark. That's kind of how that works. So when I see a passage of scripture like this and I see a contradiction, I stop and I, I try to make note of it. You know, when pride comes, then comes dishonor. But with the humble, there is wisdom. And I'm thinking, okay, pride would be contradicted with humility. So you got your opposites there. If I want pride out of my life, I need to be humble. That means I need to be willing to be wrong. I need to be willing for someone else to be right. I need to be willing to change and be molded. I I need to not be... uh, 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 angry or or vindictive in my actions, I need to to be gentle and all the things that come with a humble heart. So you have those contradictions there, but then you have contradictions further on. With pride comes dishonor, but with the humble comes wisdom. I can contradict wisdom with dishonor. See, I would contradict wisdom with like foolishness or stupidity or something like that. But when I see the scripture talking about these things, I think, wow, what an interesting thing. I mean, if I'm, if I'm dealing with a situation where there's great dishonor, instead of crying out to the Lord, Father, release honor in Jesus' name, I, I think what I need to cry out to the Lord for would be wisdom. God, give me wisdom. Because right now there's a tremendous amount of dishonor. The things that are being spoken are unjust, they're wrong, and it's, it is humiliating. And I desire the wisdom to deal with this situation. I mean, we all deal with those kinds of things. And if I present it with too much eloquence, it almost sounds as if it doesn't apply. But you could deal with this in a marriage situation. A a wife maybe says something to a husband that comes off emasculating and and that's dishonor. And rather than fire back, well, I'll put you in your place. How about stop and say, God, I need wisdom because I'm dealing with dishonor here. Or a situation where we've, we've sent dishonor to somebody because we know, we realize we spoke something and we felt it as soon as it left. That was a fiery dart. God, give me wisdom to extinguish that, to go back to that person and to make it right. These kinds of contradictions are worth making a note of so that we can function and operate in the way that God's called us to and equipped us to. But when pride comes, then comes dishonor, but with the humble, there's wisdom. I'll give you another passage of scripture here as we begin to to move to our conclusion for the the week here. Proverbs 29, 23. Again, we're looking at what happens when that defensiveness prevails. You know, last week we talked about criticism and, and that negativity and that being filled with accusation. Now, this week we're looking at defensiveness when there's that lack of willingness to listen and there's that devotion to one's view or opinion, even though one's view or opinion might be wrong, and in some cases probably is. We see the result of that. The result of that is not good. Proverbs 29, 23, it reads like this. A man's pride will bring him low, but a humble spirit will obtain honor. Once again, we we see that the word honor introduced in there. And I think that this is an important thing to consider. That when we look at defensiveness and all of uh, its its evils and all of the things that it has the ability to produce in destruction... We can see the absence of honor. I mean, once again, you're dealing in a situation where individuals will refuse to uh, pay attention to or hear the voice of those around them, and that is a very ungodly way to live. We've got a banner in here that says, you know, Jehovah or Yahweh, Yahweh Shema, and it's translated there as the Lord is there. Somebody worked really hard on that banner, and they sewed a lot of sequins on that thing. Had I been in the room, I would have said, hey, you know what? That's a good translation, but it's not the best. Yahweh Shema means the Lord hears. Not location, not there, not here. Audibly hears. And you can see that in the use of the word even today in modern Hebrew. You know, if we were standing in in the tabernacle and we were... You know, the the priest came to to perform the ceremony and we began by doing what they would call the Shema, which is that word, Shema. They would sing it. They would sing it and and it would go, Shema Israel, Adonai Eloheinu, Adonai Echad. Everybody. And then, you know, the pole could be, Shema Israel, hey, 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 hey. But that Shema means hear, hear Israel, hear, not location, but with your ear. Hear this, O Israel, hear what I'm saying to you. The Lord, the Lord your God, the Lord is one, Shema. If I refuse to hear those around me, I'm not operating as one who is called to function like Yahweh Shema, the Lord hears. I'm closing off my ears to the cries of those around me and therefore I am no longer functioning in a godly way and my defensiveness has opened up the door for all kinds of hell and destruction. Shema. Open up my ears to listen. That way I don't fall into the the paralysis of defensiveness, the destruction that comes with pride and the dishonor that comes along with it. I want to see these things out of the church. I want to see them purged from the body. And you don't get that out of an institution or out of a building. Rather, you minister to those things in the people that make up that congregation. We want to see, you know, the accusation and the work of Satan removed. Then we commit as a people to be less uh, critical and, and less negative in our speech and begin to function like Jesus in the ministry of intercession, that was last week. And then now this week, if we want to be a people that walk in the honor and the things of God and, and, and have the humble hearts that we've been called to, it's going to be a people who are devoted to rooting out all defensiveness and all that pride that would cause us to shut off our ears to listen to the voice of others. I want to ask you to stand with me this morning. I want to pray and I want to ask God to do something on our behalf. Sometimes when we are a smaller group, it becomes quiet, and there's a measure of discernment that you try to operate in. Is it quiet because it's interesting, or is it quiet for other reasons? And you hope to God that it's not other reasons. But I would hope that today's message would provoke some thought in some way, shape, or form in each of us. Because I really believe that defensiveness, while it's difficult to preach because of of the, the... absence of the word itself in the scripture is a massive issue for all of us and though the word is absent in the scripture the concept is most absolutely not it's throughout the scripture it's the difference between functioning in wisdom and functioning in dishonor and foolishness And I think that if we can have our eyes open to see and to to see the purpose of of the the word and and what's written between the lines and, and then apply that to our lives, it could open up the door for a body to remain united even in the midst of such wonderful and rich diversity. I want to offer this to you as a thought before we pray. Consider eternity, the wonders of eternity. Now, oftentimes in our vocabulary, we say, think about heaven, but you know, think about eternity. Heaven right now is a temporary place. Eternity will be a, a, a much different experience. God will make the earth new and all these wonderful things that are in the scripture right there for our reading so that we can understand it and we can be the people that aren't sitting around thinking, wait, what's going on? But we know. Consider eternity and all the wonders of unity and fellowship that are, are promised in eternity. And then look at who makes up eternity. Eternity. The scripture is wonderful in communicating this, that from every uh, tribe and every tongue and every nation that God would bring. I mean, it's saying these people are all so different, but yet somehow they come together and they function in unity. It's a wonderful thing, and I promise you, it, it comes at the expense of laying down all individual defensiveness. It comes at the awareness that God's counsel prevails and leads and guides, and he's very interested in us getting along and cooperating. I don't think God looks on the city of Abilene and says, you know what, I think we're a church short there. Let's split that one and let them name themselves something else and go down the street. And then they can kind of just throw rocks at each other for the rest of their lives. I doubt that. Rather, I think that there's a a release of his spirit That that in in the face of all of our diversities and the richness, I should say, of all of our diversities, we can come together with humble hearts and accomplish great things unified by his spirit. So last week, you know, when we prayed, we we were bringing down, you know, that that negativity, that criticism, that spirit of accusation. And and this week, obviously, as we talk about uh, defensiveness, I think at the end of the day, you're dealing with individual pride. And that need to have a humble heart. I want to pray and I want to ask God to to do a work in us. And I don't think that there's anyone in the the room here that can't benefit from that work. Even though in this room there are some of the most humble, loving, surrendered hearts that I've ever been around. I want to pray. I want to ask you. You can be in a state of agreement or, or simply a state of receiving. But I want to see God continue to lead us in this direction father we thank you for your goodness we thank you for your word we want this house to be stabilized by all things that are true that we would not introduce measures of carnality that would open up doors for division and destruction let your word ring out in our hearts and our minds as the truth that it is and let it be embraced and received that our hearts would be soft and open to receive the word and planted. Let it take root and begin to affect how we feel and how we think. That we would begin to to measure the experiences of our life against your word and adjust accordingly. Let wise counsel be revealed to us that we wouldn't seek the counsel of the fool, but that we would seek the counsel of those that would confirm your word and your direction in all things. And protect us from a, a pride or an arrogance that might be rooted in our lives that would open up doors for dishonor and ultimately destruction. Let us truly be a people that are slow to speak and quick to hear. Let us be godly in a way that we might be the children of Yahweh Shema, that we would be those who would hear. Let us be listeners. And then let us respond upon listening with compassion and the power of the Holy Spirit. Let our hearts be made right we would walk in humble ways, speak in humble ways, and with all humility, release the power of your Holy Spirit to perform in incredible and productive ways in all that we deal with. We bless your name and we thank you. And we ask in Jesus' name as we leave together today that the bond of unity would be strengthened by your Spirit. Let it be confirmed with fellowship and let the sound of joy, laughter, With the sound of family, fill this city and this region as your people are brought together by the blood of Jesus and the presence of the Holy Spirit. We bless your name and we thank you in Jesus' mighty name. And all the saints declared, amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Champions Church. We invite you to join us this Sunday for our celebration worship service. For more information, please visit us at champschurch.org.